<laughs> Great outing. Ghost Island Media. Hey guys, it's Emily Waiwu here. We have a new show on Taiwan and some of the policy debates here that could have implications for the region, and we want to share the first episode with you. The show is called Dispatch from Taiwan. It's a collaboration with the U.S. Institute of Peace, based in Washington D.C. Each episode, we speak to local experts and citizens who discuss with us how the Taiwanese society is responding to these big challenges: defense, disinformation, economic coercion. We hope you like it. There will be five episodes total. We'll have subscription links in the show notes. Otherwise, look out for the show Dispatch from Taiwan. On your favorite podcast app, and here is episode one on defense. July eighth, twenty twenty-three. That was the hottest day of the month in the city of Taichung in central Taiwan. It was thirty-five point eight degrees Celsius or ninety-six degrees Fahrenheit. That was the day twenty-three-year-old Cai Zhongling began his walk around the island of Taiwan. I felt like an idiot. Why did I begin my walk then? I was drenched in sweat every day. I almost had a heat stroke. The beginning was the most painful, and my feet—the shoes hadn't been worn in. It was scorching hot. I cried secretly. It was so painful. Even Taiwan's most diehard fans have few good things to say about summers here. But for 52 days, Tai endured 560 miles around the island at the height of summer in full army kit and on foot. It was tough, but he had a point to make. I wanted to defend Taiwan because of my ideals. I had to go on. Cai Zhongling is a former paratrooper. During COVID, he completed his four months of mandatory military service. He then enlisted in the army for another two years before he was discharged. He felt then that China was a great threat to Taiwan. He wanted to make a personal contribution. The Chinese communist is a great threat to us. If I can, then I can make a personal contribution. Tai is not alone. From former soldiers to civilians, 23 million citizens, many in Taiwan are thinking about how best to defend their home from China, who has often said it would take Taiwan by force if necessary. So, what's the way forward? This is Dispatch from Taiwan, a podcast series where we take a deep dive into debates that influence Taiwan's policies that can shape the region. My name is Emily Waiwu, and I'm your host. Welcome to episode one. For a country that sits just 80 miles at its closest point to China, Taiwan is remarkably conflicted when it comes to the idea of building up its defense. Unlike others in Asia that face similar existential threats, like South Korea, Taiwan's military has swung between two extremes: from conscription lasting two to three years to just one year. And then four months. In 2023, Taiwan's then president Ma Ying-jeou had wanted to transform Taiwan's military to an all-volunteer force. It was said that the armed forces had more conscripts than what it needed. But what is needed? 
Turns out, that depends a lot on China's own military development. Our defense must be adjusted based on how others might attack us. If the tactics of the PLA today is different from 30 years ago, then we must make adjustments. After 1996, as the PLA underwent vast modernization, it understood that it lagged behind the U.S. military, that there was a big gap. It needed a counter against aircraft carriers. So then came the Kilo-class submarine, or a modern ship, or other kinds of R&D. That's Professor Ling Yingyou from Danjiang University in Taipei. Between 1995 and 1996, when Taiwan was preparing to hold its first direct presidential election, China held missile tests into the waters surrounding Taiwan. Lin was still a teenager then. Today, he is an expert on military organization and strategy. He studies both militaries of Taiwan and China. The economic mood and the political atmosphere of the 1990s was absolutely different from what it is today. Similarly, the military activities of the Chinese communists back then exposed a lot of the problems within the PLA. Compared to the PLA of today, it went through a military reform in 2016. Everyone is keeping a close eye. What kind of military weapons or methods will the People's Republic of China use against us? So while Taiwan's defense capabilities continue to shift according to China's buildup, just how does one keep up? For the year 2022, China's official defense budget was reportedly around 230 billion U.S. dollars. That's 12 times larger than Taiwan's budget. And in a U.S. Department of Defense report, it said that much of that budget was, quote, focused on developing the capability to unify Taiwan with the PRC by force. China's leader Xi Jinping has not given Taiwan any reason to believe otherwise. In 2021, U.S. military officials indicated there was reason to believe that China would try to take over Taiwan by force in 2027. It was said then that the assessment was based off of a speech by the Chinese leader who challenged his military to, quote, accelerate their modernization programs to develop capabilities to seize Taiwan. 2027. While 2027 isn't a certainty, the naming of an exact year made the threat more real, to the rest of the world at least. To an average person in Taiwan, the threat of a Chinese invasion had always been imminent. Kids have joked about it in school, the same way they joked about Y2K. It was something that was beyond anyone's control. Meanwhile, a series of exercises is staged every year to simulate Taiwan's military response against invasion by sea, by land, and by air. Residents respond to air raid sirens known as Wan'an. Stay off the street, pull over, find shelter. If you're indoors, figure out where your nearest bunker is. Map that route. Remember it. 2023 saw the largest exercise in the 39-year history of the military exercise known as Hanguang. Computer simulations, war games, counter-amphibious landing exercises, dispersal exercises, a mock hostage rescue drill in the center of Taipei, and drills around critical infrastructures. But what would actually happen when the clock struck? No one knows. How? Could they? Would they? 
Whether or not a timeline actually exists for Beijing, the assessment for a potential attack date was enough to set off alarm bells among analysts. But it wasn't enough to bring defense to the forefront of public attention, at least not until February of 2022. On February 24, 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine. Before the Russian-Ukrainian war, many people in Taiwan somewhat believed that, in modern international conditions, the likelihood of a country conducting large-scale invasions or attacks on another region or country was low. However, since then, I believe the Taiwanese people have been considerably shocked and affected. That's Professor Tia Chong. He's an associate researcher of national security at National Policy Foundation in Taiwan. He links Russia's war on its neighbor to the rise of awareness and concern from the Taiwanese public of how precarious its position actually is. Over the years, there has been a significant rise in the intensity and frequency of CCP military activities around Taiwan. This has made the Taiwanese populace genuinely concerned about the real possibility of CCP military aggression. In August that same year, a day after then U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi left Taiwan, China launched a four-day military live fire drill into waters encircling the island. That was the largest missile drill since 1996. But this wasn't just a practice run for China. Taiwan was learning too. One of the missiles flew over the northern half of Taiwan and landed in Japan's exclusive economic zone. Taiwanese citizens had no idea this had happened. Until they saw it on Japanese news, Professor Lin from Danjiang University. There's a lot of room for improvement for the military when it comes to public relations. When the missile was over our head, the Ministry of Defense did not tell us immediately. People learned about it from Japan's NHK News. What? A missile flew over my head, and I had no idea. The fact that people had to learn from international news that we were under attack—that's a very negative feeling. This is a very negative thing. Lin believes this public communication has improved since then. In addition, China's missile tests, combined with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, did succeed in pushing some things forward. By the end of 2022, Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen announced a plan that would quote. Realign the nation's military force structure. End quote. The heart of this was to reinstate military service from four months back to one year. Here's Professor Jie. In the past, the extension of mandatory military service to one year had been a taboo topic in the legislature. But since the Russian-Ukrainian war, this passed swiftly. Up to now, it's widely supported by over half of the Taiwanese public. This was unthinkable before the war in Ukraine. The extension of conscription began on January 1, 2024. Also new in 2024, Taiwan will see record high national defense budget, 19.4 billion U.S. dollars, the equivalent of 2.5 percent GDP. There has been an increase in public support for increased defense-related spending, and a more favorable attitude toward enhancing military and political exchanges with the United States. Additionally. The successful Ukrainian resistance through asymmetric warfare methods has left a strong impression. 
In 2023, Taiwan unveiled its very first domestically made submarine, and weapon sales from the U.S. continued. U.S. President Joe Biden signed off on a 80 million U.S. dollar grant under the Foreign Military Finance or FMF plan, the same scheme used to provide weapons to Kiev. Is all of this enough for Taiwan? And just what is it about the military that keeps people on their toes here? One would think that, for a country under threat, national defense is a bipartisan issue. It is, to a certain extent. Everyone here agrees that this home is worth protecting. But talking about defense is, ironically, tricky. Politics get in the way. Here's Professor Lin. Why is it that defense issues often cannot be discussed in depth in Taiwan? Aside from the lack of interest among the public, another issue is that national defense expertise is easily overshadowed by political rhetoric, political positions, or political contradictions. People might first off say they dislike this person's party affiliation or leaning, and then the conversation stops there without diving deeper into national defense. Biases against political parties stand in the way of professional expertise on national defense. In the past several years, members of Taiwan's civil society have entered the conversation on national defense. One nonprofit organization, Forward Alliance, equips residents with skills like emergency response, search and rescue, field medical care, navigation. Another organization, Kuma Academy, teaches military and information warfare, open source intelligence, and even horticulture. Its mascot is a distinctive Formosan black bear holding a rifle. One of the founders of the organization is set to enter parliament after this upcoming election. And then there's the group, Taiwan ADIZ, a fan club on Facebook. ADIZ, as in Air Defense Identification Zone, the volunteer group has tasked itself with monitoring radio exchanges that take place across the Taiwan Strait. I'm Robin. I'm the head of the Taiwan ADIZ fan club. I'm asked often, why do I do this? I always give the same answer. Our government had been lying to us. They said there was peace across the strait. But if we are at peace, then why do Chinese communist military jets harass us every day? Robin Xu is no ordinary citizen with everyday calm skills. He was a radar officer in the Navy back in the days of his conscription. Today, he's 51 years old, and he's still putting the skills he's learned to good use. This was a recording from May 25, 2023. Robin said this was probably a practice broadcast to what a PLA jet would say when they intercepted other jets. These recordings were from the airspace around the northwest of Taiwan. To people like Robin, hostilities between Taiwan and China is inevitable. The military power must be backed up by the economy. That's my opinion. There will ultimately be a fight between the two sides of the strait. 
China will definitely instigate a war. We just don't know who it will be against. But they, for sure, will instigate a war. Why? Because their economy is crumbling. They will instigate a war so they can solve their domestic needs, whether they win or lose. Robin won't tell us exactly how many other volunteers he works with throughout Taiwan, but he showed us his receiver. It's an ADSB consumer-grade receiver with a software-defined radio USB dongle. Anyone can buy the kits. It's set to be able to cover up to 250 nautical miles. Robin and his group, they buy the equipment out of their own pocket. Each board costs around 2,000 NTD. This part here is also around 2,000 NTD. So that's about 5,000 NTD for each machine. Yeah, some of our members, they provide free space for us to set up the machines. Every day at 9 a.m., Taiwan's Ministry of Defense releases numbers from the previous day of PLA aircrafts that entered Taiwan's ADIZ, or crossed the median line. The numbers change daily and can swing between single to triple digits. In September 2023, a record high of 103 PLA aircrafts were detected entering Taiwan's ADIZ. That's not all. In December, a Chinese balloon was spotted. It crossed the median line before it headed east, then it disappeared. More balloons have been detected since. The actions of citizens like Robin Xu and Cai Zhongling might seem extreme to some, but they are a sign of Taiwan's unease over the uncertainty of its own future. Throughout the conversations we've had with analysts and citizens, one thing is clear. There's a sense that not enough is being done to bring the situation to equilibrium. There's no shortage of opinion as to what it will take to get Taiwan, its government, and its people to that point. Professor Lin points to technology and equipment. Whether it's the F-16V or others, we've been making enhancements in our systems. But what we call second-generation aircrafts and second-generation ships, those were mostly acquired in the 1990s. It's been 30 years. We need to make adjustments. The usage of drones in the Russian-Ukraine war, for example. The use of drones has introduced new applications in the military. While strategies remain the same, tactics are evolving. But how will our national armed forces keep up with these changes and redesign our strategies? I believe this is our most significant challenge. But to Lin, it also comes down to leadership. With the rise of civilian initiatives and awareness, can the government consolidate the different efforts? And for analyst Jie, he's thinking long-term. My concern is that after 2027 passes, and as CCP has succeeded in joint island landing operation transformation, do we have sufficient time to adjust our operational structure, weapon systems, and troop compositions? This is a looming concern. Another concern is the lack of formal defense arrangements between Taiwan and its partners, like the U.S. and Japan, even though Taiwan is a critical part of the U.S. first island chain strategy. Chia is worried about the effectiveness of any joint ground effort. There hasn't been large-scale joint operation exercises or frameworks for joint operations. Therefore, even if the U.S. military was to support us, 
frankly, they would not be able to conduct joint operations. So, the biggest problem when other countries want to assist in warfare is the inability to conduct joint operations with Taiwan's military. But that doesn't mean things aren't happening. In early 2023, it was reported that the U.S. would increase its deployment of troops to Taiwan for a training program that includes both the U.S. Special Operations Forces and the Marines. If implemented, the increase of 30 military personnel to around 100 or 200 would make this the largest deployment of U.S. forces to Taiwan in decades. So what should be the strategy? For Tia, he points to two principles. First, militarily. Militarily, it is crucial to not allow the CCP to become too optimistic. Don't let them think that they can easily achieve a swift and decisive victory. Second, politically. Politically, at least in the medium term, avoid making the CCP feel too pessimistic. This way, we can effectively delay the timing to which the CCP might use force to resolve the Taiwan issue. The hope is to secure a situation where, over time, changes within China or the international landscape is at a place where it's more favorable to us. As a small nation facing CCP's stance, Realistically, our approach can only be characterized as one of delay and adaptability. Professor Lin agrees. The so-called non-fighting environment. We need to have the determination to not engage in conflict, and we need forward-thinking strategies, but we must prevent the outbreak of war. As Taiwan prepares for a general election this Saturday, January 13th, a new president and a new class of legislators will be voted in. The outgoing president, Tsai Ing-wen, has been in office for two terms and cannot run again. Peace across the street and in the region, that is on everyone's mind. But where the candidates and their political parties differ is how to maintain it. All three presidential candidates have indicated they would continue Taiwan's current foreign policies, though they have different views of what relations with China and with the U.S. should be, and also different ideas for defense boost military training, boost international collaborations, boost non-conscription force, boost salary. But what does peace entail? Is it the renunciation of force by China once and for all? Or is it the day China stops its jets from crossing the median line and its ships from circumnavigating Taiwan? Peace under the Democratic Progressive Party's William Lai is expected to look as it does now closer ties with the U.S., which remains Taiwan's biggest defense benefactor, as well as tensions with China, which views Lai and his party as a separatist. Should the Nationalist Party KMT triumph, the administration of Hoyoi is expected to pursue a strategy of deterrence, dialogue, and de-escalation. He says Taiwan should prepare for war, and he also thinks he can reopen contact with China. China cut contact with Taiwan in 2016 when President Tsai began her first term in office. And while the Taiwan People's Party, Ko Wenzhe, has said he would apply pragmatism and professionalism, it's not known how his proposed hybrid approach of preparing for war and engaging dialogue with China will win over Xi Jinping. And in their first televised presidential policy presentation in December, one candidate reminded others that it is China that has the hostile takeover of Taiwan as its national policy. Tsai Zongling, the former paratrooper, echoes this call for unity. At the end of our interview with him at his home in Taichung, 
where he told us about his trip around the island to raise awareness of national defense, he added this. Most importantly, our enemy is the Communist Party of China, not the Democratic Progressive Party, not the KMT, Kuomintang, not the Taiwan People's Party. I really hope everyone, please stop pointing the finger at our own people. We must unite. That's how we can resist the invasion of foreign enemies. Whatever defense policy the next government adopts, most of Taiwan's people say they're happy with the status quo. But that is a reality that China is not happy with. So the question is, how far Taiwan is willing to go to maintain this way of life? One where it continues to enjoy its independent and democratic system with free elections, its own military, financial system, freedom of speech, as well as diplomacy and trade with international partners. You've been listening to Dispatch from Taiwan. From the United States Institute of Peace in Washington, D.C. and Ghost Island Media in Taipei. Thank you to all the guests who took their time to speak to us. We urge you to follow their work and ours on all of our websites and social media. Views in the podcast do not reflect those of the United States Institute of Peace and Ghost Island Media. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.